0: Hi this is Stephen Adair, Pastor of Grace Christian Fellowship here in Odessa, Texas. and I want to thank you for tuning in today to our podcast. I hope this message encourages you, gives you hope, and reminds you that you are love. Today, Stephen, you know, last time I preached uh, a month ago, I preached on Job, and Stephen had approached me and said, Hey, I'm going to be out of town for the Casas por Cristo trip, and I would like you to preach. And I was super hesitant, uh, really scared, and and so he asked me, and I said, Yes. Well, this time I was like, hey, that was a lot of fun. I want to do it again. So uh, I was like, hey, uh, don't you want to go out of town? Don't you need some family time? Don't you need to get out of Odessa? And I kind of pushed him out the door so I could have another opportunity to speak to you guys today. And I was really honored that he allowed me to. uh, But truth is, he asked Jonathan first and Jonathan said no, and so uh, I'm second pick, but it's okay, Uh, and I'm excited for the message that God has given me to to speak with you guys today. Um, If you, uh, you know, miss something or if I talk too fast, because I I tend to do that, you can always catch us back on our podcast later on in the week and uh, catch up there. So, also, if you like what I say and what God uses to speak through me, share that on Facebook, share that on podcasts. We know that our ministry here at Grace can go further than Odessa, and so we like to do as much as we can with uh, pushing our messages and pushing um, our ministries outside of these walls. So. Uh, When I talked to Stephen about preaching, I said, uh, you know, do I need to speak on the book of Nehemiah? Because that's the series that we're currently in. And Stephen was like, yeah, you can do that. We're going to be on chapter four or five. I don't remember what the next one was. And so I opened up my Bible and I turned to Nehemiah and I was reading chapter four and five and I was like where does he come up with these sermons? Because I am not understanding any of this stuff. I don't know where he's headed. I don't know what he's doing. And somehow he comes up here and he brings a text before you guys as a church and he delivers an amazing message. But I read the scriptures in Nehemiah and I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna leave that to you next week. Uh, I don't want to step on on any toes. You've got Nehemiah covered. Um, So then it was my turn to then kind of figure out what I wanted to speak on. And so uh, I thought again, hey, maybe now I can talk about foster care, because I did do a foster care, or I didn't do a foster care sermon last time, so maybe I can talk about foster care. And of course, I thought how many people would be like, okay, dude, stop talking about foster care. So I decided not to do that, and I was thinking through what I wanted to do. And it's really hard. I don't know if any of you have ever written a sermon before, but it's really hard to write a standalone sermon, a sermon that doesn't have a series to go with it. Because, you know, if you, if you think about it, you can preach for days on topics um, like the book of Nehemiah, um, but it's really hard to just narrow down on one topic. And so finally, I was talking with my wife, Julie, and she said, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's Monday. I've got less than a week till Sunday what am I going to preach on? And Julia was like, you should preach on Abraham and Isaac because you had a long time ago talked about this one scripture in in that section of scripture in Genesis 22 that stood out to you. I think that you should uh, preach on that. And so I was like, that's a good idea. So lesson number one, listen to your wives. Because sometimes they have really good ideas. And so I picked the topic of Abraham and Isaac, um, but I really wanted to focus on the covenant aspect of Abraham and Isaac. So we're going to be in Genesis Genesis chapter uh, 21 and 22, if you want to turn there. We'll have some scriptures up on the screen uh, that we'll go through in a little bit. But I wanted to focus on uh, the word covenant. And I think a lot of times in churches, we take words like covenant and we throw them out without people really understanding what a covenant is. You know, we, we, we say churchy words, and uh, it becomes difficult to—I wouldn't be able to go further if I didn't explain what a covenant was for those of us in the room that maybe don't know what a covenant is. So a covenant is an agreement between God and his people. In the Bible, we see five major covenants throughout Scripture. Uh, the first is the Noahic covenant, uh, the promise to never flood the earth again. We see that through the rainbow. The second is the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to go over today— Uh, and the third is the Mosaic Covenant, uh, which is known as the Old Covenant. Uh, The fourth is the Davidic Covenant that God gives to David, uh, basically telling him that through him a king will be born. And then the last is the New Covenant, which is the new relationship that we're able to have through Jesus Christ. And so these covenants were all given by God to his people and received by his people. The one thing that I want to start off by saying is covenants are not flimsy promises. A covenant is much stronger than that. Um, and some of these covenants that God gave us weren't even conditional, like, you have to do this, and then I will give you this. How many times do we throw out promises that we can't keep um, or are or, or just flimsy? We just throw them out there like, I promise to do this or I promise to, to do that. As a father, I've learned that you, the one person that you can never give a promise to without you know, expecting to keep it as your child. How many of you have promised your child that if, you know, after school you're going to go out and get ice cream? And like all day long they're talking about ice cream. They go to school. The second they get in the car, all they want to tell you is, you said we're going to get ice cream. And really you meant you were going to get ice cream like after dinner, but they, from the moment they get into the car to the moment you take them to get ice cream, they're talking to you about it. So what I've really learned is don't make promises that you can't keep to your children. But God makes promises to us throughout Scripture, and I want to focus a little bit on some of the, pro- or the promise that he made to Abraham. Uh, first, why are covenants important in the Bible? It's a theme throughout all of Scripture that we'll see, yet you have to understand why those covenants are important, or you won't understand um, God's purpose through those coven- coven- uh, Sorry, covenants. God's, the covenants that God gives us in the Bible are important um, because we're people of promise, um, I, I, our human nature uh, makes us want to have hope, to want to, to be able to look into the future. We want to know what is coming before it comes to us. And we want to know that because we want to know if it's good. And so I think a lot of times we, we, we want promises because promises typically come with, with uh, hope. We can look into the future and see that good things are coming. So as I was preparing for this message, I, I really like the Abrahamic Covenant. It's really hard to pick a favorite covenant because they all are important and they all um, have really cool meanings through them. But um, I was trying to think of why I really liked this this promise. And I think the reason that I really liked this promise uh, originally comes because I love the song, Father Abraham. How many of you guys know the song, Father Abraham? So I had to write in my notes when I wrote about this, I said, um, talk about Father Abraham, the song, do not make a fool out of yourself, Aaron, because I knew that I would get up here, and I would want to start singing, Father Abraham had many sons, and then I'd want all of you to join with me, and we'd all sing, and we'd do the little dance and turn around, but I put in here that I was not allowed to make a fool out of myself, so I'm going to just say, the Father Abraham, YouTube it if you don't know it, but it is a great song, and for me as a kid, it was one of those songs that I would sing and didn't really know what it meant. Um, but it's very clear. It says, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Oh, it's so hard not to just want (laughs) to sing it, but I'm I'm going to withhold myself from doing that. So uh, Father Abraham had many sons. So we know that Abraham, God promised Abraham that he was going to have descendants um, that you could not number more than the stars, more than the sand. Um, God just made a promise to Abraham that he was, he was going to have so many children and so many grandchildren and great-grandchildren that you wouldn't even be able to count them. And, and right now, Julie and I have four sons, and I just can't imagine if we add any more what our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren would look like. And so it's a cool, uh, a cool image to look at Abraham and know that we all came through the line of Abraham. And so I think that's why I like uh, the Abrahamic Covenant. But also, uh, a few years ago, uh, Julie and I were selling our home, and if you've seen on Facebook this week, we're selling our home again. Uh, we are the type of people that just love chaos, as Aaron Byford said, and we love change. And we do need to see a therapist for it, but uh, we we can't stick in a house for very long uh, because we fix it and get it to where we want it. And for some reason, we decide that okay, let's move. We gotta, you know, we're comfortable. We we can't stay in in, comf- uh, in comfort. And so uh, we're currently selling our third home since we've been. In Odessa, one, two. Yeah, this is our third. We'll be moving into our fourth home, possibly. Uh, But when we were selling our first home back in 2015, I think it was. um, Yeah, that's a lot of houses in that short amount of time. Uh, But we were selling our our last home. We had gotten all the way through and packed our U-Haul up. It was moving day. We were headed to sign the papers for closing. And we were super excited. We were buying a brand new house built by Permian Homes. Everything was new, new countertops, new cabinets. No one had ever lived in it. It was what we thought was our dream home. um, And we were so excited. And so we had packed up our U-Haul. We're getting ready to head to closing. And we got a phone call from our realtor that the buyer that was buying our house um, didn't tell the uh, loan officers that she or that he um, had a change in income. And so if you have any type of change in income while you're buying a home, stop buying a home. Don't pack anything. It's terrible. Um, but so we, we found out that we weren't going to get to move into our new house. Even though everything was in the U-Haul, we were ready to go. It was devastating. I remember Julie and I just, whenever I told Julie she was crying, I started crying. And you know, we were like, why, why are we so distressed over this? Why?" But it was because we had this dream home. We had this home that we had walked through and saw the rooms and our kids had played in it while we decided where we were gonna put the dining room table and where this cabinet was gonna go, where this shelf was gonna go. And we were so excited about this new house. In in a phone call in a matter of minutes, that house was ripped from underneath our feet. And I didn't understand why that was the case or or what was going to happen next, but our realtor called, and she said, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. This is awful, but it happens. Um, She's like, I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to keep keep trying. I'm going to see if we can uh, make the numbers work so that this uh, buyer can buy your home, and so she was helping the buyer, and the the bank was helping the buyer, and everyone was trying to help, but it looked pretty pretty grim. And so um, we, at the time, were working at another church in town, and I was teaching the children uh, or the students how to read through their scriptures and and how sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you miss things and you miss words. And so we were going through and doing the study, and it happened to be through Abraham and Isaac. And we got to a scripture where Abraham is talking to his servants, which we're going to go over in a minute, but uh, Abraham's talking to his servants, and he's telling them right before he goes up to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, and he says, "We're going to go to worship, and we will be back." And so he knows that he's about to go and sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, but he said to his servants, "We will be back." And he didn't say, "I will be back." He said, "We will be back." And so that's kind of what I want to focus on this morning: is that that phrase, "We will be back." And so if you'll turn to your scriptures with me, um, we're going to go over uh, Genesis twenty-two verses 1 through 19. I'm going to give some little cliff notes of, of Genesis 21. Um, Abram, at the time his name was Abram, he was a descendant of Sham who was a son of Noah, so we can see more of where uh, Abraham came from. Uh, Abram was promised by God land and descendants. Uh, his wife uh, Sarai doesn't trust God will provide the descendants because they're so old, and so she asked her husband to have a child with one of the servants, a mistress. And so that mistress' name was Hagar, and Hagar has a baby, and an angel tells her to name him Ishmael, and we'll explain the significance of that in a minute. Um, Later on, God changes Abram and Sarai's name to Abraham and Sarah. Um, We find out that Sarah and Abraham are actually brother and sister. Gross. Uh, But as I was studying, I found that out, and I was like, okay, well, that's great. Uh, Sarah gets pregnant. It took 25 years of promise for her to actually get pregnant, um, but God was faithful to that promise. So after 25 years, uh, she got pregnant. God tells Sarah, hey, I want you to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. And I mean, I'm laughing at the fact that she's really old and having a baby. Um, I don't think laughter would be my response if Julie was 100 years old and got pregnant, but that's what happened in this situation. So uh, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away under God's instruction um, in, in 21, 12, Genesis 21:12, 12. Um, and the reason for that is just, God wanted him out so that there would be no backup plan for Abraham. Uh, He didn't want him to use Ishmael as his excuse to say, well, I can have descendants through uh, Ishmael. Um, Ishmael was a son of of Abraham's flesh and not his promise. Um, But God preserves them and keeps them safe even though they're sent away. So here we are where Abraham gets tested. We're going to read Genesis 22, 1 through 19 together. I have uh, it up on the screen if you want to follow along up there. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your own son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of this place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, blessed because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So we learn here that God tested Abraham. Kind of sounds a little bit like my last sermon uh, where we talked about how Job was tested. But this test wasn't really a test to produce faith. Rather, it was a test meant to reveal faith. God had been building up Abraham piece by piece, year by year, into a man of great faith. This test here that we're reading in Genesis 22 would reveal some of the faith that God had recently built in him. I love the imagery here because I love to, I love to think about God as a builder. He's, he's building bigger things inside each and every one of us. Every single trial, every single heartache, every promotion, every cell of your home, every detail, brick upon brick, God is building us and preparing us for something bigger, for something more, but also preparing us for the revealing of our faith to the world. I like to think about the trials that we experience and know in the middle of a trial that even if it stinks, even if it's hard, even if it hurts, God is going to use that trial to reveal my faith to someone that needs to see it. Sometimes God asks us to do things that don't really make sense. Um, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where God has called me to do something, and I'm like, but why do you want me to do that? That, that doesn't make sense. Like, you've been preparing me for this. You've been preparing me. Uh, I, I thought this a lot when God had me in youth ministry. God had been preparing me for youth ministry. I went to college for youth ministry, and now I'm not technically doing youth ministry. I'm like, God, that doesn't make sense why you would lead me um, to, the, to this place. Uh, what is God calling to do? calling you to do right now that maybe you feel like doesn't make sense. I want you to think about that um, as I continue on. But here, when God calls Abraham to do something that doesn't make sense, Abraham does not even hesitate at all. Um, What I love here is immediately after God uh, tells Abraham what he's wanting him to do, Abraham says, here I am. It was a quick answer, one without any type of hesitation. I don't know about you guys, but when God asks me to do something, I like to fight. But why, God? Why do you want me to do this? Why should I? Why why am I doing this? Why is this person in my life? Why can't you just rescue me from the situation and let me get out unscathed? Um, But here I can see in Abraham that Abraham was ready to be taught. He was ready to obey. He was ready to surrender. But even more, he was ready to be examined by God. This this, uh, phrase, here I am, reminds me of Isaiah 6, 8, where Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And it's so cool to know that Abraham was ready. Here I am, here I am. So God responds to him and says, go and take your only son whom you love. So I picture Abraham like, God saying like Abraham and Abraham being like, here I am, and God saying, go and take your only son whom you love, and Abraham being like, here I'm not. <laughs> like kind of like, uh, I don't know what you're asking now, so maybe I'm not readily available. But, but God says, take your only son. And as I was you know, studying the scriptures, I was like, okay, but it's not his only son. He has another son through Hagar, Ishmael. So Isaac isn't his only son. But as I studied more, uh, God meant your, your, the promised son, the son that I promised to you. Take your only son, whom you love. And as I was reading that part too, I thought to myself, like whom you love, like take your son whom you love. And I'm like, is this God mocking him? Like, oh, who you adore, this child that I finally gave you. Um, Take him who you love, your only son. But really, as I studied it even more, I realized that God was just telling Abraham, I want you to know that I know what I'm asking you to do. So he's being very specific in what he's saying. Another cool thing that I learned through studying the scripture is um, when he says, whom you love, this is the first time in scripture that we see the word love. And, you know, love is a word that's used so many times throughout scripture, but this is the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. It wasn't mentioned in Adam and Eve, which I think is weird. It wasn't talking, you know, loving your, uh, Adam was given a helper and it wasn't said that they loved each other. But here we are, the first time the Bible is mentioning it, and it's dealing with Abraham and Isaac. But it's also dealing with the story of a father who's sacrificing his son. So the first time we get to hear the word love, we are given that example. Every phrase of God's command to Abraham from this point forward is like a knife. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, offer him there as a burnt offering. So, I don't know how much you guys know about Abraham, but he basically was like a sojourner in the land of Canaan, and many of the priests of those that lived in in Canaan, uh, the Canaanite, they, they worshiped Canaanite gods, and human sacrifice to those that lived in Canaan was very common. But not, not Abraham's God. Abraham knew that his God would not ask him to sacrifice his son, because God had never asked for human sacrifices at this point, it was always a lamb. Um, it was never a human. And so Abraham knew that his God was different. So I'm, I'm guessing, though, at this point, Abraham's probably like, okay, God, I know you've never asked someone to sacrifice a human before. So what are you doing? What are you up to that this is what you're asking me to do with my son? How would we react today if God asked us to take our child? And sacrifice them. I know for me, I've seen a lot of news stories on television uh, where people do crazy things for the Lord, and they say that it was for that God told them to do it. Um, as I was reaching for this, researching for this sermon, uh, I, I saw a case in 1993 of a guy named Andrew Kate. He was sentenced 60 years for shooting his two-year-old daughter he claimed that he was acting out the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac. He thought that God would do a miracle to win his brother to Christ if he shot his, uh, his two-year-old um, daughter. And then he paraded down the neighborhood naked. And it's just a terrible story that we read, but it's very common for us to see people say, God told me to do this. And one thing that I want to make clear is God does not ask us to sacrifice humans. The only, sacrifice, the only time we've ever seen it in scripture outside of Jesus's sacrifice was the sacrifice of Isaac. Because all of this, though, was even more confusing for Abraham because this situation was very contradicting to the promise that God had given him. God had promised to make, his nation, make Abraham's nations great through his son Isaac, but how could he do that if he sacrificed Isaac? So just to understand that at this time, Abraham is super confused. Genesis twenty-one twelve, God had already promised that in Isaac, your seed shall be called. But why would God call Abraham to kill the promise if that promise had not yet been fulfilled? Abraham at this point had something that he, that he had to do. He had to know the difference between trusting the promise And trusting the promiser. And it's something that we, as as Christians today, have to do when God is promising us things. We have to decipher between are we going to trust the promise that God has for us, or are we going to trust Him who has given us that promise? God tells Abraham to go to Moriah on one of the mountains, which He tells him. God's giving him a very specific place to go. He's directing every single detail. I don't know about you guys, but it's really hard for me to trust God if I don't know the details. How many of you are detail people? Like if God's giving you vision, you want to know what's, next, what's step one, what's step two, what's step three. You want to have it all planned out. You want to have your 401K. You want to make sure that you know, you're, you're ready to go to retire. All of these things, you're, you, you want to know the details. And here, God is giving Abraham all of the details He's not telling him the why, but he's telling him the how. So he sets up a place for him. He says, "I want you to go to Mount Moriah," and he tells him, "This is how. Like this is where you're going to go, and this is what you're going to do." Um, so Abraham gets up early the next day. I don't know about you guys too, but for me, if I have something big that's coming up the next day, I do not sleep. If I know that I have a meeting with my kid's teacher at school, and it's not even that big of a deal. All night long, I'm thinking about, okay, when I walk in, she's going to say this, I'm going to say this, she's probably going to say this, and so I'm probably going to say that. And then Julie's going to be quiet the whole time because she just lets me do all the talking. So I've got this plan laid out of what I want to do, but it keeps me up all night. And so here we know Abraham got up early the next morning. And at first when I read that, I thought it's because he knew that he had a long journey ahead of him. But I realized even getting ready to preach this morning, I could not sleep. So I got up early. So Abraham gets up early the next morning, no hesitating, and he's he's ready to go. So he prepares everything that he needs. Um, The one thing that I like about this too is, is that he didn't hesitate. He didn't debate. He didn't fight God. He didn't say, but why, God? He didn't seek wisdom from others. He didn't say, okay, God, I see what you're telling me. Let me go ask my friend what they think about it. Let me go ask my mentor what they think about it. Let me go and talk to my wife and see what she says. Could you imagine what would have happened if Abraham had told Sarah? Or maybe he did, but, but it doesn't tell us that he did. And so uh, if he would have went and told Sarah, like, hey, this kid that we waited for, you're really old. I'm gonna, you know, we have this promise. I'm gonna go ahead and kill him. God's asking me to sacrifice him. You know, he probably would have gotten stopped along the way. So he didn't seek counsel. He knew that he was hearing directly from God. And so he trusted God and did not, hesitate. And one thing that I learned from this is I just love his ability, Abraham's ability, to just trust God. And I think what this scripture is trying to tell us is that, that God is God, so just go for it. Go for what God is telling you he has for you. Go and do what God is calling you to do because he is God. And even if it's something that's uncomfortable, even if it's something you don't want to do, we need to go for it because there will be good in it. So God is prepared him for it. Um, pre- God prepared Abraham for this journey. And one thing that I liked was, you know, we talk about God building Abraham for this, this faith. One of the situations specifically that God uses to prepare Abraham to sacrifice his son was he had already, in, uh, figuratively speaking, sacrificed and, and, and pushed out Ishmael when he sent Ishmael out with Hagar. He sent them away. So he had already lost a son before. So this concept for him, God had already built him up to be able to sacrifice Isaac because he had already had him send off Ishmael. So it says next that Abraham saddled up his donkey. He split the wood. It doesn't say that he had his servants saddle up his donkey. It doesn't say that he had his servants split the wood. He did it. Even though he was old, He did the work that he knew that he was supposed to do because God was calling him to do it, and God told him exactly what to do. He didn't have any excuses. I'm sure he was nervous, but he didn't put it on anybody else but himself to follow through with the plan that God had laid out for him. He went to the place that God told him. He trusted and was obedient, and yet sometimes I feel like us as Christians today, we don't want to be obedient we still want to do our own thing. We still want to do what we think is best. We know the promise that God has for us, but we want to get there the way we want to get there. So follow along in Genesis 22, verses four through eight. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to, this, to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So the first interesting fact uh, in Genesis 22.4 says the third day. We see throughout Scripture lots of references to the number three, and we'll cover that a little bit more in a second. But um, an interesting fact that I learned when I was studying was Mount Moriah. If you go to 2 Chronicles 3.1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So I had never known this before. But Mount Moriah, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, is where the temple of the Lord was built in Jerusalem. And I think that's a really cool, and it's going to be important in a little bit. So um, three days it took to get there. Abraham had a long three days. That in itself made the test even harder. Sometimes I just want to, like, get it over with. If I know something's about to happen, I just want to hurry up and get it over with. And here he had three long days to go over this. And so Scripture says... That Abraham said to his servants, We will go and worship and we will come back to you. Why the word we? This didn't mean that he knew it was a test. When I first read this, I thought he was just confident, like, Oh, God's just testing me. Sometimes when we go through trials and things like that, we're like, This is just a test. We're just being tested. The Lord is testing us. And here, I firmly believe that Abraham really believed that this wasn't a test. That he was going to go up to Mount Moriah, he was going to sacrifice his son, and what I really believe, based off of studying God's word, was that Abraham believed he would kill his son, and God would resurrect him from the dead, and they would come back. Because he knew the promise that was coming was going to be through Isaac, so he trusted that no matter what, God was going to resurrect Isaac from the dead, and he would bring him back down the mountain. And that's even more interesting because at this point in, a- in the story of Abraham and Isaac, there's no other story in the Bible that we read thus far that talks about resurrection from the grave. Uh, we see it later on with Lazarus, and, and, and so we know that it does happen later on in the Bible. But at this point, Abraham is stepping out in faith in something that he's never seen before. He's trusting, a, trusting a, something to happen that hasn't happened before. Abraham was so full of faith But it was because he was clinging to the covenant, clinging to the promise that God had already told him. And he knew that that promise was going to be good. He knew that it meant that his his descendants would be huge. And so God knew that he could say, or Abraham knew that he could say to his servants, we will be back. As I read this, I thought to myself, I, we, need to stop clinging to the world and the promises that it offers us. And really start clinging to the promises that come from him, from God above. The world has nothing eternally good to offer us. God has everything eternally good to offer us. So we should really cling to his covenants and his promises. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, it clearly explains this principle. Um, after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters... And um, Hebrews 11 just talks through how he explains this principle, and Abraham was offered Isaac. He knew that anything was possible, but the only thing that he knew was impossible was a promise to be broken by God. God is not a liar, Satan is, the world is, but God is not. God is able to do more things than we could ever imagine. And he will do those things if he says that he's going to. So Isaac went in an agreement with Abraham. We see that the two went together. It doesn't say that, Ab- or that Isaac put up a fight. He asks questions, but Isaac doesn't put up a fight. Another thing that I learned while I was studying was, I've always pictured, and even up on the screen, it looks like a little boy, and an old man. I, I always pictured Isaac to be young. And as I studied scripture, and we look at the age of which Isaac would have been weaned from Sarah, and we look at the age that Ishmael would have been, and the age difference between the two boys, we know that Isaac was not a little boy. Um, you can study in the scriptures and find out that a lot of, of theologians, a lot of commentaries state that they really believe that Isaac was actually about 25 to 35 years old, and a lot of people land on the number 33, which would have been the same age that Jesus was when he died on the cross. And so if you take this image here and make him a man and an old man, there is no way Abraham tied up a 33-year-old guy by himself that was not willing. So we know that Isaac went... In agreement with Abraham, he also was trusting his father. So Isaac, as he's walking up the mountain, says, "Okay, so I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the lamb?" And Isaac, or Abraham tells him, "My son, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering." The question has been asked by many. It's been asked by Isaac, Moses asked, David asked, Isaiah asked. And even John the Baptist declared in John one twenty nine, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We will come back to this in a little bit too. So Abraham didn't know how God was going to provide, but he knew that he would provide. He trusted God's ability and his reliability. And I think that that's a really cool, a really cool thing for us to be able to do. We have to trust that God can do it and God will will do it. So in Genesis twenty-two ten through 14, it says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So Abraham was completely willing to kill Isaac. He wasn't just talking about killing Isaac. He was there Knife drawn, ready to sacrifice his son. I read uh, by a theologian named Donald Barnhouse that 90% of knowing the will of God consists of willingness to do it before it is known. 90% of knowing that the will of God consists of willingness to do it before it's even known. So moving on in the scripture we see that it says that you have the, the, the angel says, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This rings so clear to me and sounds so familiar because it just reminds me of John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. God displayed his love for us in the same way that he was asking Abraham to display his love for God. When God asks Abraham here for the ultimate demonstration of his love and commitment to God, it was through asking for his son. And when God the Father wanted to show the ultimate commitment to us and the demonstration of his love for us, he gives us his son. Now we too can say to God, I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Me. Isn't God good? Abraham looks up after this and he sees the ram in the thickets. The ram is there. God still required a sacrifice. At this point, God didn't just say, Okay, Abraham, you did exactly what I asked from you to untie your son and go back down the mountain. Instead, he didn't call it off, he provided the substitute through this ram. I think that's really cool imagery. That God still requires sacrifice from us. Even if He provides us an out or an escape from what we think we were going to have to endure, God still required that sacrifice. So at this point, Abraham names this place, The Lord Will Provide, Jehovah Jireh. He didn't name it based on what he had experienced, he didn't call it Mount Trial, Mount Obedience, he didn't call it Mount Agony. But he named that mountain in reference to what God did and what God will do. In my opinion, he also named that mountain knowing that on that exact mountain, God would provide the ultimate sacrifice on that hill in Jerusalem one day to prove to us his love for us and to save us all. So this whole time, that I've gone through this book and as I'm going through it, I kept, as I was studying it, I kept telling Julie, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And it's because I really believe that Isaac's life was a foreshadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it became even more clear because here's some points that I want to make. And this is, uh, if you're serving communion or you're on the worship team, you can go ahead and make your way back. Isaac's life pictured Jesus in in these similar ways. Both were promised sons. Both the conceptions of them were miracles. Both were born after a period of delay. Both mothers were given assurance by truth of God's omnipotence. Both were given names before they were born with great meaning. Both were loved deeply by their father. Both offered themselves willingly. Both carried wood up the hill for their sacrifice. Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross. Both were on the same, the sacrifices were going to be on the same hill. And both were delivered from death on the third day. We have a remarkable picture here of the work of Jesus dying on the cross thousands of years before it even happened. This is why We too, today, can cling to the covenants, to the promises of God. Because this, all of this, this was not coincidence. This promise to bless Abraham and his land with descendants was a very real promise. And one day, Jesus will return from heaven and fulfill that new covenant even more. We can have confidence In his covenants, Abraham knew that Isaac was going to, him and Isaac both were going to come back. He said, We will be back. He knew that both of them were going to return from Mount Moriah, just like Jesus knew that he would raise from the dead on the third day. We too can have confidence that he will be back again from heaven to take us home. Will you trust that promise? Will you trust that he will come back? Are you living your life in a way that tells the world, I believe that Jesus is coming back? I think today, as we take communion and we have an opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, as we take some time to reflect on that, we can also reflect on Abraham's willingness to go to that mountain and sacrifice his son. We have these promises that God has laid before us, a promise that God is going to work all things out for the good of those that love him, a promise to return back from heaven one day. He's given us these covenants. He's given us these promises that we can cling to, yet we're clinging to so many other things. We're clinging, youth, you cling to the promise that one day you're gonna get married and one day you're gonna have kids. And we as adults cling to promises that one day we're going to move up in our jobs. One day we're going to have a nicer house. One day we're going to be debt-free. One day. (laughs) One day all of this stuff that God promised us will be here. So we've clung to those things. And yet you cannot cling to the promises of the world and still cling to the covenant that God has for you. So I ask that today with open hands and open hearts as we take communion and we worship the Lord we remember the true covenant we remember the promise that Jesus would die for us he would raise again rise from the dead and would return for us when God is ready are you ready to cling to that covenant this morning would you bow your heads and hearts with me as we pray father god Oftentimes, our hands are held tight, grasping to the things that we've worked hard for, holding tight to the promises that the world gives us, whether that be fame, fortune, or family even, God. God, I know that to peel apart our fingers and to have our hands held out, open wide to receive your covenant, God, we can't keep those fists closed. We have to open them. And trust that if you're leading us up a mountain, calling us to sacrifice something that we love, it's okay. You've already sacrificed your only Son, whom you love. What are you calling us to sacrifice today to receive the covenant that you made years ago and the promise that we have to be reunited with you again in heaven? God, my prayer this morning is that if there's someone in this room, someone in this church that is yet to accept that covenant, that they would do that this morning. God, as we prepare for this time of communion, I ask that you remind each of us of the individual promises that you've made us, but even more of the promise you have made your church. God, we love you, and we thank you for your son. We thank you for the imagery of Isaac, and the foreshadowing that it taught those that were reading the Old Testament to those that read it today. And we know that you are good and that you are God. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We would love for you to connect with us weekly, so please be sure to subscribe to this channel. We would also ask that if you have been encouraged by this ministry, would you consider partnering with us financially? Your support helps us continue our mission of helping people move from where they are to where God is calling them to be. You can find all the ways to give at graceodessa.com slash give. Thank you. Thank you.